Thank you so much for checking out our podcast. We hope today's message encourages, inspires, and empowers you to follow after Jesus like never before. Before we get into today's teaching, I want to invite you to join us live at one of our services at any of our three campuses in West Virginia, or join us as we stream live online. For more information or to save your seat at one of our services, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. Now let's check out today's message. We're going to talk about the lie of not being good enough. How many of you ever felt at one point in time that you'll never be good enough to please God, that God is frustrated with you, that God is angry with you, that you'll never be able to live a holy life, that you're always going to have to struggle in an area of sin, that you're, 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 you're never going to be able to overcome that. Do we have anybody who's ever felt that before? You know, I think every person in point in time, and that just shows you that that is a common lie that the enemy plants in our minds, but he wants us to feel like we're the only ones that battle with it. And the longer that that, that lie begins to stay in our minds, then he will even try to convince you where well, there's just something wrong with you. Like, like and, and, and even in our world today, like, we do this with things, things that used to be, like, for alcoholism or drug addiction or, or things like that, or pornography addiction or, or sexual addiction or, or things like that, that, that used to be things that we would see as an area of sin and, and needed to be corrected. Now, we have adopted it as it's, it's just a disease. It's just who I am. It's just what, how I've been created. It's just something that was passed down. It's something that I'm always going to have to deal with. And I can never truly find freedom from it. Can I tell you something? That is a lie. And one of the verses that we've looked at in this is... The passage of scripture in, in, I think it's Psalms 119, that says, keep me from lying to myself. Many of us have identified ourselves with our sin and taken on our sin as our identity. <clears throat> but can I tell you something? You are not what you do. You may struggle in an area of sin you may be predisposed to an area of sin you may have have had a problem with that but the word of God says that Jesus went to the cross to nail all of our sins to the cross with him that we can be forgiven of all of our sins and that we can find freedom from all of our sins And so a lot of times what we've done in the church world today is if we find out somebody is struggling in an area of sin, when we'll even call it sin, a lot of times we don't call it sin, we just call it our weakness. It's just our our weakness. It's just just our struggle. No, it's sin. Let's call it what it is. A porn addiction is sin. Drinking too much alcohol is sin. Gossiping on Facebook is sin. See, some of y'all are like, <laughs> overeating. Whew. Like, it's amazing how hard we are on people who bat- battle with alcoholism, but everywhere you see the word drunkenness in Scripture, you see gluttony right beside it. 
because it's rooted in the same spirit. One is drinking too much, one is eating too much. We have to call it what it is. Because when we can identify it and know what it is, then we can stop making excuses for it and we can stop believing the lie of the enemy that we are always going to have to battle this and deal with it. But in the church world today, when we talk to people about their struggles, we just tell them, well, you just need to pray more. You just need to read your Bible more. You just need to fast more. Like, you just got to be more disciplined. And then you're not going to struggle with anything anymore. But can I ask you this question? How many of you, when it came to an area of sin in your life, you prayed, you fasted, you read, you did all the religious things, and you still struggled? Anybody in here? My hand is not up just to get you to raise your hand. My hand is up because I have been there. I have been in the place where I love God and, and, and I'm doing everything that I possibly know. Every religion, I have had everybody pray for me. I have had everybody laid hands on me. I went to the altar over and over again. I made every vow that I'll never do it again, God. Uh, this is the last time. I'll never, I'll never say that again. I'll never act that way again. I'll never look at that again. And then still find myself doing the same old things. Sometimes you don't just need more discipline. What if the problem isn't just reading the word more? Now, do I believe that you need to read the word? Yes. I believe you need to get in the word and you need to get the word in you. Because when the temptations come and the enemy begins to bombard you, then you have a weapon to fight against the enemy. I'm not trying to say you don't have to read your Bible, you don't have to pray, you don't need to fast, any of those things. I think all of those things are great things. In fact, Paul talked about self-discipline in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27. He said, I discipline my body and I make my body my slave. So that after that, I would not be, after I've preached to others, I would not myself be disqualified. So Paul said, there is a level of self-discipline. There is a level of getting in the word of God. There is a level of fighting in prayer. There is a level of fasting and all of those things. But there also has to be an understanding that as a believer, you have discipline. Then in Galatians 5, when it says that the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, that word self-control there also can be interpreted or translated as discipline. So you have discipline. Sometimes you need to develop the discipline. Sometimes you need to cut things off to help do that. So all of those things are right. But what about the times when discipline isn't enough? What about the times when you fasted and you've prayed and you've done everything that you know? And here's the thing, a lot of the times, like we can do it for a really long time. Like we can stay clean for a really long time. We can stop drinking for a really long time. We can, we can not eat sugar for a really long time. We can be disciplined in exercising, buffeting our body for a long period of time. 
But it always seems like at a moment where we're weak or we're tired or we're frustrated or we're alone or whatever, that now all of a sudden, here's that desire again. Here's that struggle again. And listen, part of that is because the devil knows when to come in and attack us. He knows how to come in and attack us. But this is the question that I want to ask you this morning. What if it's not deliverance or discipline that you need, but it's deliverance that you need? We talked about last week, and I was way more excited about it than you were. Y'all just looked at me like, that's great, wonderful, uh-huh, woo Mark chapter 16, remember we talked about this, pull up verse 16, that those who believe and are baptized, they will be saved, but those who uh, do not believe will be condemned. And so we talked about two type of people there, Christians who believe in God and are saved and know they've got a relationship with God, and there are people who do not know God and are, are going to be condemned in their sin if they don't come to know God. And then it says, and these signs and wonders will follow those who believe. Okay? So the believers here is not believing in the power of signs and wonders. The believers here are the believers who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized. So in other words, these are signs that will follow Christians. And one of the things there that it says is that in my name they will cast out demons. And see, a lot of times we automatically think when you cast out demons that you got to find somebody who's foaming at the mouth, who's acting crazy and drooling all over the place and barking like a dog and, and just all this stuff like this. Like that we look at a demon, a person who is demon possessed or demonized as, as somebody who's just clearly crazy and off the wall and everything like that. But I'm going to show you in Scripture where sometimes, and we'll let you define it however you want to define it, but sometimes believers can come under the influence of a demon. And some of y'all are like, oh, I don't know about that, Pastor. This is just getting crazy now. It's one thing to tell me I can cast out demons. It's another thing to tell me I might have some. <laughs> but as believers, we have to realize that there are times when we need deliverance and there are times that we need discipline. And here's why. Because you can't cast out the flesh. You have to discipline the flesh. But you can't disciple a demon. So you can read the Bible to it all you want. You can, you can fast all you want. You can pray all you want. But until you take authority of it and tell it it's got to leave, then it will stay there. Well, hold on, Pastor. I always heard that light and darkness can't dwell in the same place. Have you read the book of Job? Have you read the book? That's that one that everybody likes to skip through because there's a bunch of complaining and all this. Y'all read the book? Of, have you read the first chapter of Job? Let's just start there. They haven't, got, they haven't started complaining yet in chapter one. 
But you see a picture into heaven. All right? It says God is on his throne. And guess who comes in to the throne room of God? Lucifer comes in to the throne room of God. Wait a minute. If light and darkness couldn't dwell in the same place, how is the devil in heaven? What? The devil's at the throne room. Job chapter 1, 2. The devil appears before God at the throne room. And God didn't look at him and say, what are you doing here? Light and darkness can't dwell in the same place. Don't you know that? He doesn't go into that. So where have you been and where have you come from? Y'all remember this? Y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Pick up your Bible. Open up your version real quick if you don't believe me. Where have you been? Where you came from? I've been circling the earth to and fro. And then God is like, hey, have you considered my servant Job? Like, it's not the devil was just so mean and wanted to go attack Job. God's like, hey, have you considered him? And then God allows the devil to attack Job. Well, the Bible says that Job was a perfect man. He was an upright man. He was a righteous man. Right? This isn't just a demon attacking him. This is the devil himself attacking him. And he was able to steal all of his family, everything. He was able to come in and and afflict his body. And then he sends all these believers in (laughs) to sit there and like absolutely almost drive Job crazy because of all the accusation. These people who are supposed to be his friends begin to accuse Job, well, you have to have sin in your life. You have to have sin in your life. You know what one of the names for the devil is in the Bible? Satan. Do you know what the word Satan means? The accuser. So Eliphaz and all those guys, when they come up, these are supposed to be his friends, and they are supposed to, but they are doing the job of Satan toward Job it's like the devil didn't even have to stay there and accuse. He just had to send some Christian religious people in. Oh, Lord. Well, that's fine. But believers can't be in bondage, though. Okay. If that's true, then the book of Galatians, y'all read Galatians? That's in the New Testament. More of y'all probably read that one. The book of Galatians starts in Galatians 1 to the church in Galatia. So who's it written to? Hopefully the people in the church are the believers, right? So he writes this letter to the church in Galatia And to the church in Galatia, in chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty, because Christ has made you free, and do not 
be entangled again with the yoke of what? Well, if believers can't be in bondage, why is Paul telling the believers not to be in bondage again? Why is the Holy If a believer can't be in bondage, why would the Holy Spirit inspire Paul to tell believers, Christ has set you free. However, don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Y'all ready for another spot where you see? Matthew chapter 15. You see a story of the Canaanite woman who comes in. She was a Syrophoenician woman. She comes in. She heard about Jesus and She comes up to him and says, have mercy on me, Lord, son of David, because my daughter is cruelly demon-possessed. Okay, so we see what the problem is here, right? Demon possession is the problem that is here, right? Y'all see that? It's right there on the big screen. Last two words. Okay? Jesus basically is like, listens to her, but he's going to send her away. And this is what he says in in verse 25. It says, she came and she bowed down at his feet, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered her and said, it is not good to give, what's those words that are underlined? The children. What children? Children of God. It is not good to give the children of God's bread and throw it out to the dogs. What is she coming for? Her daughter is demon-possessed. Thank you, Mr. Mickey. And Jesus said, hold on, wait, wait. That's the children's bread. Deliverance is the children's bread. Children meaning they're a part of the family of God. Are y'all tracking along with me? Don't take deliverance, which is the children's bread. The children's, not those who will be children. Y'all got it? Just making sure, because some of y'all are still looking at me like, huh? can't believe we're talking about demons in church. This is weird. And she said, but yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat from the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And then he sends her away because he saw the faith. And her daughter is delivered and in her right mind when she gets home. So he decided to bring deliverance. Even though it was the children's bread, he decided to give it to her. Are y'all seeing this? What about individuals in the Bible? Timothy was the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Okay? Pastor. Everybody got that? Sometimes we look and we see the people who are up here at this altar and we're like, holy. Like, like think that there's nothing wrong. Like, there, there can't be anything wrong. And sometimes we won't even go to a church if we think there is something wrong with the pastor. 
How am I going to sit under his teaching if, there, if there's something wrong with him, if he has sin in his life? And that's why pastors act like they don't have any issues in their life. Because if they are real about the issues that they struggle with, the people leave because they want a perfect pastor. But how many of they ain't no perfect pastors? I'm just letting you know right now, your pastor ain't perfect. <laughs> Timothy was the pastor of the world's largest church at that time. So he's not just like some little small church pastor, like mega church pastor, okay? And Paul writes a letter to Timothy and says, listen, God didn't give you that spirit of fear. But he gave you power and he gave you love and he gave you self-control. When he's talking about spirit, he's not talking about the Holy Spirit there because the Holy Spirit isn't fearful. He's talking about an evil spirit there, which we would also refer to as a demon. He is saying, Timothy, you are being controlled. The pastor of the church, are you seeing this, is being controlled and is under the control of a demonic spirit of fear. And I would venture to say there are still a lot of pastors that are still under control of a demonic spirit of fear of the people. That's why they don't preach on tithe. That's why they don't preach on demons. That's why they don't preach on the Holy Spirit. Because they're afraid their people will leave. And so they allow what people want. They give the people what they want versus what they need. And somebody who truly loves, perfect love casts out fear. So somebody who truly loves you will say, listen, maybe it's not that you just need to pray and read the Bible more. Maybe there's something deeper going on. Maybe there's not a problem with you, but maybe there is a spirit or something that has tried to attach itself to you that we need to get rid of. Elijah was the prophet of the days. He was the big prophet that went to King Ahab and Jezebel, right? He goes up on Mount Carmel. He calls down fire from heaven. He destroys all the prophets of Baal. He outruns the chariots down the hill. This is the guy that we're talking about who raised the dead. Like, I mean, miracle working power of God flowing through him. But Elijah come, came under a spirit of suicide to the point of where he wanted to take his life and is begging God to take his life. In 1 Kings chapter 19, he said, but he, he went a day's journey and he found out that Jezebel's going to kill him. Well, Jezebel had always been wanting to kill him. That's why he had to hide out for three years. You remember the story about the birds feeding him and, and then the widow fed him and all those things. Y'all remember the story? He was hiding from Jezebel and Ahab that whole time. Even Obadiah the prophet was like, Elijah, you better, I am not going to go back to Ahab and Jezebel and tell them that I saw you and didn't bring you in because they'll kill me. Just for talking to you. And it says he went out into the wilderness. He sat down under a broom tree. And he asked God 
to kill him. Saying, oh Lord, take away my life. I am no better than my father's. And he laid down and he took a nap. That's how you know you're under a spirit of depression when you always want to take a nap. Things get rough, let me take a nap. It's depression. Suicidal spirit. We've got the pastor of the world's largest church that's got a spirit of fear and intimidation in his life. We got the man of God, the prophet, who called down fire from heaven, raised the dead, all of these miraculous things that wants to kill himself. Are you seeing, like these are not heathen people. These are God's people. His leaders. I'll take it a step farther. The Apostle Paul. Who wrote two-thirds of the Bible. Who helped start churches. Empowered Timothy and Titus and all these other pastors and everything. The, the Apostle Paul who confronted Peter to his face. And, and helped lead the church in the right direction when it came to the Gentiles. This is a man of God. Anybody in here? Paul is a man of God. Anybody agree with that? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in my flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me to keep me from being conceited. Okay, that word messenger in the Greek is angelos. Many times in the New Testament, the word angelos is translated angel. So he's saying there has been an angel of Satan who has came against me that he hasn't even been able to shake. An angel of Satan is what, what we would call what? A demon. Are you saying, Pastor Brandon, are you saying that Paul was demon-possessed? Well, this is where we got to study this a little bit. Because demon-possessed means that the demon has ownership of you. And let me set this first and foremost. The demons own nothing. The Bible is clear that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The Bible is clear that we have been bought with a price. We are not owned by the devil. We are not owned by a demon. And I think sometimes the way that we translate things has caused us to, to not want to realize that we might be facing something demonic because we're afraid that it means that we're less. But if Paul, Elijah, and Timothy, who are some of the greatest men of God that you see in the Bible, all came under demonic oppression. Listen, battling something demonic does not make you evil. Understand that. Because when we think about demonic, we think about the one who's slithering around like a snake or barking like, there are a lot of times that demons come out and there are no outward manifestations like that. And I'll, I'll just let you in on a little secret. 
you have been in church services. If you've been here any time at all, you've been in church services where demons have been cast out of people and you didn't even know it. In the Greek, the word, the phrase that is commonly translated as demon possessed is dominizomai. And dominizomai comes from two words. The first one is domini, domini, which means demon, or of a demon, or having a demon. And the phrase there for zomai is an ending that they use in Greek that means possession. Now, let me explain this a little bit because it looks like, well, that means demon-possessed, like owned. The phrase for zomai doesn't necessarily mean ownership. It means influence. So it means that they are having a demon. Another word that the zomai is used is, and is pistizomai which the, the, the Greek word for faith is pistis, and then the, uh, the zoma means one who is having faith. Okay, so if you have faith, it doesn't mean that you are possessed by faith. Faith doesn't own you, are you seeing this? It just means that you possess it, right? You have faith, okay? So it's not saying that the demon has you, Another translation that is better is more that a person is demonized or that a person is coming under the influence of a demon. Now, let's think about this. And we got some troopers and police officers. Dell is a sheriff's deputy and Levi, a trooper. And, and uh, you got the other trooper, Wood, over here, Aaron. Now, you guys have pulled people over who have been drinking alcohol at some point in time. We call it a DUI, right? Which means what? Driving under the influence. Now, if I drink alcohol and I go drive, I may do things that I would normally not do or not be able to do things that I would normally be able to do because I am under the influence of alcohol. But how many of you know that alcohol doesn't own me? Are y'all seeing this? So we're not talking ownership. So we got to demystify it a little bit. The devil has wanted this to be like this horrible thing so that people can't find true freedom. So that people, so if they continue to struggle with something, then he can keep coming up into your ear and saying, you're just an alcoholic, you're just an alcoholic, you're just an alcoholic. You're always going to battle with lust. You're a lustful person. You're an adulterer. He's going to keep coming up and telling you this so that you find identity because that's what he wants to do is he wants to lie to you. But Christ wants you to find freedom. As I want to give you four quick things of how we find freedom, four steps to deliverance. The first one is this, is we have to identify the root. Listen, if you don't know there's a problem, then you're not gonna do anything to change it. It's the same thing in our physical health. 
If we don't know we have high blood pressure, we're not going to take anything or change our diet or anything like that. If we don't know that we have something physically wrong with us, then we're not going to do whatever is necessary to change the thing that is physically wrong with us. We're not going to uh, do anything. So here's, here's the thing that we have. A lot of times, there are common roots that are open doors. So identify the open door may be a better way of translating or uh, of putting a point up there that are open doors. And I'm going to tell you one of the biggest open doors that the devil has is unforgiveness. If you have unforgiveness in your life, you are leaving a door open. That is why Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 4, don't give place to the devil. And then he begins to talk about you need to throw off all that wrath and that anger and everything, and you need to forgive each other, tender heart, the same way that Christ forgave you. What's he saying? The open door isn't the anger. Sometimes we think anger, anger is the fruit, not the root. The open door is the unforgiveness. Another open door is rejection. And we are seeing this more and more in our state than ever before. Because of the foster child situation and things that we have. When a child feels abandoned by their parents or neglected by their parents. I mean, even in the church world today, the divorce rate within the church is the same as it is in the world. So 50%, 55% of people feel the pain and the hurt and the rejection of divorce. Alcohol is an open door. Witchcraft is an open door. Drugs are open doors. But every single one of those things, when you identify what the open door is, the devil wants you to sit down and just be like, well, this is who I am. I'm just uh, all I'll ever be. And God's like, no, 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 no. I am showing you the open door so that you can shut it. I have a dog that likes to wander the neighborhood. Anybody who walks by our house if he gets out in the front yard, he will follow you to your house because he's just a friendly dog and he likes to take walks. And so there are many times that we just have to, if we see a door open, I'm not sitting here like, oh my gosh, there's an open door. What do we do? I walk over and I shut it and then I start looking for Charlie. Charlie. Yesterday, I went through the neighborhood and looked for him for an hour and a half <laughs> because there was an open door. Now, for me, an open door allows my dog to get out. But for us, an open door allows something to get in. But the same way that we left the door open before, we can open the door right back out. We can take authority and kick it out. And then we can close the door. We just needed to know the truth about the situation. That's what John said. 
uh, in, in uh, 8, in 8.32, he said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen, the Pharisees, the very next verse was like, we've, we've never been in bondage. We are Abraham's descendants. Pull that up, verse 33. We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been enslaved to anyone. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Children of Israel were enslaved in Egypt. They were enslaved to the Midianites. They were enslaved to the Philistines. They were enslaved to the Ammonites, all these different things. Y'all read the book of Judges, right? Your Old Testament, all this stuff. They were enslaved in Assyria. They were enslaved in Persia. They were enslaved in Babylon. And at the time that they are writing this, they are looking for a Messiah to come and set them free from the slavery that they're pretty much in under the Roman government that is there today. But they're like, well, we're children of Abraham. We can't be in bondage. Which is what many people in the church, I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I can't have no bondage. No, 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 no. I understand them. I grew up in church. I serve in church. I pastor a church. <laughs> but we just saw even pastors can come under influence of these things. Second thing is when you identify the root of the lie, you break agreement with the lie that you've believed. Just because it's been spoken over your life doesn't mean that you have to agree with it. Can I tell you, this is where when we define everything as a disease and we embrace that as this is all I will ever be, that is a lie. And you've got to break agreement with that lie. You can be free. You don't have to struggle with this every day of your life. Can I tell you, this doesn't mean that something is wrong with you. It just means you're human. You have an open door. Let's shut the door. Believing a lie doesn't make you evil. However, it does leave an open door for evil to stay around. Third thing is this, is we agree with and we proclaim the truth. It is not just enough to know the truth. I'm telling you something, you gotta speak the truth. The Bible says that life and death are in the power of your tongue. And so you have authority over the enemy. You have authority. I have believed this lie. I refuse to believe this lie anymore. Any door that I've opened because I've believed this lie, I know what God's word says and I, this is who I am. And you begin to proclaim the word of God over your situation. I mean, that's what they said in the book of Revelation. In chapter 12, it says, they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. That's what Jesus did. He paid the price to set us free from our sin. But then he said, and the word of their testimony. Not the word of somebody else. There's too many times, and one of the things that we found is when we're walking people through this to have find healing and deliverance, they don't want to say the words themselves. They want us to pray over them. 
It's much like Naaman. Naaman had leprosy. He wanted Elisha to come out and wave his wand and his hand over him so that the leprosy would leave. And God's like, no, 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 no. I'm not doing it that way. You're going to go wash seven times in the Jordan River. And he didn't want to do it. And I said, if he asked you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done that? All he said to do was go and wash. Some of you are like, I don't know if I can do that. All I am telling you to do is speak the truth over the lie. How hard is that? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. God, I release forgiveness because I'm not going to be held in bondage by this unforgiveness. I am not a mistake because the Bible says that I was fearfully and wonderfully made. That I was knit together in my, in, in my mother's womb and that before I even lived one of the days of my life that he wrote out every day of my life in his book and that his thoughts outnumber the grains of sand of the seashore. I don't have to walk around in condemnation because the Bible says that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who are walking after the Spirit, not after the flesh. I don't have to give in to pornography and overeating and drunkenness and all that anymore because the Bible says that when I am saved, the Spirit of God isn't just around me, but He comes inside of me. And the Spirit of God, one of the fruits and evidences of the Spirit of God being inside of me is that there is love, there is joy, there is peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, and self-control. I don't need more discipline. I have discipline because the Spirit of God is inside of me. And then the final thing is this. Worship team, you guys can come on up. After you've done those things, and kick the lie out by proclaiming the truth, you invite the Holy Spirit into that area. Now, why is this important? Because Jesus taught, taught what happens when a demon leaves. Okay, in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus teaches this and he said, when an unclean spirit comes out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest. And when it doesn't find it, it comes back and it says, I know what I'll do. I will return to my home from which I came. I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna put this out there. When you kick it out, it's going to go, and it's going to circle around, and it's going to want to come right back in. That's why you got to keep the door shut. But it says that when he finds it, and it's clean, and it's unoccupied, and it's put in order, it's like, somebody just cleaned my apartment up for me. Yes! I'm going to move in. And I'm going to invite seven other spirits to move in with me. And it says, and the latter condition will be worse than the first. And so when we kick that out, we ask the Holy Spirit to come in. See, we have to realize there's many times the Bible talks, to us, talks about us being vessels and things. And if you think about a bottle of water, Eden, toss me a bottle of water up here real quick. Underneath your feet. Thank you. See all the space 
that's available here, okay? The enemy will take any small space that he can. So let's say we kicked out the unforgiveness and that's this empty space here at the top. Well, now I gotta fill it with something or else that will come right back around and he'll try to camp out right back in that spot. And so what do I fill it with? Holy Spirit, fill me. I, I just created some space for you right now. I just created a place that you didn't inhabit before, but now I want you to have it. And the more of you that you allow him to have, the more like Jesus you'll begin to look because that's what he wants to do in our life. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. If you like what you're hearing, please rate and share. For more content, to connect with us, or if you'd like to support this ministry by giving, visit our website, iheartchurch.online. We love you and have a great day.